Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am good. I am good. Well, you know, last week we talked about the Texas Democrats uh, fleeing the state uh, or maybe the Republic of Texas to ask for help from the masters in Washington. And uh looks like uh, something fishy has gone on with that. Have you followed that story? I have followed it somewhat. I, I see there are uh, a number of uh, COVID positive uh, tests. And then you and I talked this weekend um, where uh, the vice president was, um, I guess, raced was the verb that I saw used to Walter Reed on Sunday morning, uh, and then they said it was a, um, a routine visit, and I guess I saw maybe real early this morning that a Pelosi aide who met with that, uh, a group of the, De- of the Texas Democrats when they came to Washington had tested positive as well, and that the speculation was that's what's prompted the vice president, who also had some interaction with the with the te- Texas Democrats, to perhaps be tested. Well, she met with them, and that's where she made her famous comments about they were essentially like Frederick Douglass and all the civil rights crusaders. They are leaders who are marching in the path that so many others before did when they fought and many died for our right to vote. And you're, you're right. She was raced for a routine visit on a Sunday. Uh, which seemed a little strange. From from government doctors at a government facility. Your thoughts? Well, you know, I think I sent you a text with some math that I calculated because... You did. Uh, using the information from the CDC on the number of people who've been vaccinated and the number of known breakthrough cases and then building in some assumptions, which would actually, I, I thought were rather uh, generous and probably were overrating the number of cases... You know, it worked out to a, a pretty minuscule rate, basically 0.00019, according to the CDC numbers. But with the Texas Democrats, there were 67 who left, assuming they were all on the same plane. They admitted that six came down with COVID, and then they said, we're not going to release any more numbers. So that's almost 10% right mm-hmm. there, uh, which seems very suspicious. Perhaps some of them didn't actually have the vaccine, or perhaps the vaccine's not working as well, and that would be bad news. Yes, it would, and I, I, I'm not. I certainly don't claim to be a medical professional. You see, people say that so and so got the vaccine and then tested positive for COVID, and then you see others say, "Well, how can that be?" And then the 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 smart people on the internet say, "Well, the vaccine's not not designed to keep you from getting the disease." Well, I thought it was. I mean, I, I don't I don't follow how that works. Um, if the if the vaccine doesn't stop you from getting the disease, what is the point? Well, I, you know, I think the point is that if you get it, it's a very mild case and it stops people from dying. From a disease that ninety nine point three percent of the people who get survive anyway. I mean, does does the polio vaccine does it not prevent people from getting the vac- uh, the polio? I think it does. Okay. So I guess that's what I was expecting, is that this vaccine would um, which would prevent people from getting it. But who knows? Well, I think most people expected that when they heard numbers like 90% effective. Maybe it's the definition of effective that's still kind of in flux. Yeah, I think, it, I think that's exactly what it is. And I think there's so much that's still unknown 
with regard to the long-term situation with COVID and, and the vaccine and what to do. And, and the variants that are coming along. Yeah, yeah. And they say that the variant is so so much more contagious and, and, and is more severe in terms of its symptoms, but the vaccine is supposed to be what prevents people from getting the variant. I mean, I, I don't understand. I don't know. So I don't know if we'll even get any more information about that. I haven't heard anything else as to when they're going back to Texas. Doesn't seem imminent. Can you imagine if a group of Republican legislatures from, say, Texas or some boys had gotten on a plane so that they could prevent the state legislature from having a quorum and being able to do business without masks and flown to Washington, D.C., where something in excess of 10% then came down with COVID? perhaps gave it to someone in the speaker's office and perhaps gave it to the vice president. We don't know. Can you imagine what the news media would be doing right now? Well, I don't think we even have to be that creative to imagine it. Just remember that White House event on the South Lawn, which was outside with people spread out. And there were still massive complaints from the media that it was a super spreader event. That's That's a phrase you don't hear used with this. No, you don't. That's exactly. That's a good point. Now, the other thing that just happened just a few hours ago is this January 6th commission, which uh, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, has been pushing. Uh, Today, she said that she would not allow two of uh, Kevin McCarthy's uh, uh, designees to sit on the committee. And so he said, well, no, none of his uh, designees would be on there. Uh, the Republicans won't participate well, other than Liz Cheney, who was appointed by the speaker. I'm, I'm glad he said that. And I, I thought he should have said it before. I mean, when when she said that she would consider uh, his request for the Republican members and then appoint if she agreed, I thought he should have said, well, I'm not going to send you any names. Who's, do you know specifically who she said she would not appoint that he wanted on the commission? Yeah, it was Jim Banks and Jim Jordan. And this is part of his statement here. And it shows exactly what I warned back at the beginning of January, that Pelosi would play politics with this. For more than six months, you have a better example of the Senate. Bipartisan. Schumer didn't pick who went on of the Republicans. They already have the report done by two different committees. Two main questions. Why was the Capitol so ill-prepared for that day when they knew on December 14th they had a problem? And what have we done to make sure that never happens again? Pelosi has created a sham process. Unless Speaker Pelosi reverses course and seats all five Republicans, we will not participate. He said it was an egregious abuse of power that had never happened before in the history of select committees. He also called it a sham at one point. Those are strong words from Minority Leader McCarthy, who, in my opinion, is not known for strong words. Uh, Let's hope there's strong action behind those strong words. Well, I mean, it does show that this is a partisan event. Yeah, of course, the mainstream media won't they won't give it the coverage that it deserves. And and by that, I mean, specifically the McCarthy uh, statement that would explain why he's not going to allow Republicans to participate. And I think, frankly, if Liz Cheney participates, they ought to boot her out of the conference because apparently losing her leadership position wasn't enough. 
No. And, and here's here's the issue from my perspective of this commission is that uh, and, and we did talk about this maybe four or five episodes ago, is that Republicans want a commission that would look at all of the violence that occurred last year, but they would also look at the security precautions which were not in place on January 6th, many of which come back to decisions from the Speaker's office. That's right. Whereas the Speaker, she wants a commission that's going to blame President Trump and then by some you know transitory principle blame every other Republican in the country. That's her goal, and she, at least in my opinion. Oh, no, I don't think there's any question, and, and she's going to get what she wants. And, yeah. and the fawning mainstream media will slobber all over themselves to spew uh, that narrative as fact. I think, fortunately, uh, the American people see it for what it is and aren't going to put any, put any stock in it, I guess what I'm trying to say. I think it will uh, resonate in the elitist media outlets among the elites, the, the swamp rats, and the the Wall Street, New York City folks, and that's about it. Now, I don't think Ma and Pa American and hometown USA are going to fall for it. I hope not, anyway. I think they see this as another Washington swamp trick. It's you know it's not going to affect the midterm elections, at least not in a positive way for the Democrats. I don't believe. I think you're right. You know, we, every week we try to talk about some topical events, but some of the things we've talked about have just recurred since we started this podcast from uh, election laws and now the federal lawsuit to the Biden border crisis, which is still going on now. It's not solved. Crime is not solved. But, you know, the, the one new thing that has really come up this week, which has been somewhat under the radar is, is president Biden come out blaming China for a, um, hack of Microsoft Exchange servers and pointing specifically at the Ministry of State Security, which is a governmental agency in China. I almost fell out of the chair when you sent me that link. And the link you're referring to, I think, was from uh, either the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal. I think it was from the Washington Post. They seem fairly confident that uh, uh, the Ministry of State Security in China attacked the Microsoft Exchange servers. It occurred several months ago. They found out about this in March. They've now indicted four Chinese nationals for for hacking, but mostly for corporate espionage, not directly related to this. Uh, Apparently, EU officials, United Kingdom, they're all on our side now. So I think the question, though, is, you know, so what? What are you going to do about it? Because because as I understand it, those four uh, Chinese nationals are not in this country. They're not in this country. And, this and is they're like, not going to uh, be extradited. I mean, no, this is like indicting your know, Russians for interference in an election or something like that. Right. It's a show. It, it's a show. That's all it is. So what are the consequences to China? Yeah. I mean, are there sanctions? Are we even talking about sanctions? I haven't heard of that. Have you? No. Yeah. No. You know, recently the Biden administration did impose some sanctions on Russia for a related hacking incident. They haven't done anything with respect to China. This issue came up at a press conference earlier in the week, and this is what Biden said. Effectively, your administration is naming and shaming China, but no sanctions. Why? And is that effective enough? They're still determining exactly what happened. The investigation is not finished. He basically doesn't explain what the difference is or what he's going to do about it. Well, he probably doesn't know. Probably he hasn't been told by whomever is telling him what to do and say. Whoever's in charge. That's right. Somebody's got to write it down for him. Should we speculate on who that is? No. 
Now the, just a little bit. Now, the other story, I don't know if you saw this, but there is a new uh, pact between Russia and China over controlling the Internet. Did you see that just a couple did, of days ago? I, I did see that, and it's scary. My immediate thought when I read it was, thanks, Obama, because we had control of the Internet, and he gave it up to, I guess, the United Nations or some some group established by, by treaty among among other nations. The old uh, Nixon effort in foreign policy to drive a wedge between China and the so- then Soviet Union, now Russia, um, has kind of been flipped, and they're getting together against us. And the way I excuse me, read that uh, story that you sent, I'm not sure that anybody in the Biden administration has a plan uh, on what to do about it. That's not good. The that that's not good for for us long term for them to to get cozier. You know they have their own issues and they may not be able to stay cozy as long as they might wish and so forth. But we need them sort of at loggerheads and both seeking to make us happy for fear of suffering the consequences. Yeah, I mean, one thing that you can say that has been consistent, at least from the Trump and the Biden administration, has been some effort to at least identify some of these international cyber attacks, the actors behind them, and and do something about it. Um, Even you can question how sincere and effective some of those efforts have been. Uh, But this is entirely new. This is an agreement between two nations that say they basically – are going to work together. Now, you're right. I don't know how long they can work together, but they're going to work together to regulate parts of the Internet. But one thing we can say for sure is that neither one of them is going to be working to regulate the Internet for free speech. No. And, of course, the Biden administration is is working overtime to regulate social media and, and to prevent free speech on social media and to define what is truth and what is not truth. Uh, at least as it relates to Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram and whatever else is out there social media-wise. So, uh, you know, can he even, without without uh, being a hypocrite, protest uh, what the Russians and the Chinese are doing? Well, and let's talk about that social media piece since you brought it up, because uh, I think it's, it's ra- rather striking that the uh, Surgeon General came out and issued a report uh, basically giving the Biden administration cover to try to push big tech into censoring people. Yeah. And that's the, as I remember, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the Trump appointed Surgeon General, correct? No, I believe this is a Biden appointee. Okay. Well, then the, then the last Surgeon General did the same, uh, made a statement in favor of policing, for lack of a better word, the uh, social media with regard to uh, COVID misinformation. Yeah, I don't recall the last one either, but I will say that the difference is that public health officials can say stuff like that. You expect leaders, though, to balance everything out and then, where necessary, take measured steps which protect people's civil liberties. Yeah. But, you know, I looked at the Surgeon General's report. And there was a footnote in there which referenced a report by another outside organization which specifically named 12 individuals uh, or 12 actors. Some of them were couples 
who they claimed were spreading misinformation about COVID. I mean, that, that's, that's truly frightening. One of them was Robert Kennedy. He has been an anti-vaxxer for years. I even think it might be fair to say that his anti-vaccine stance is more strident um, and more frequent than his environmental efforts right now. Um, but he is uh, very much against the COVID vaccine, particularly as it relates to young people, and uh, has been somewhat vocal. Um, when the vaccine stuff first came out, I spent some time uh, reading some of his stuff, um, and he's he's kind of he's kind of out there. Well, and I believe before this, he was very active in opposing efforts to legalize marijuana across the country. That's right. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, I believe that his position is that it's a gateway drug and it leads to, uh, you know, uh, more, more drug use and more uh, of different and more drugs that leads to, you know, catastrophic effects as has been evidenced by his family. And then some of the other actors that were on the list seemed to have financial motives. They were selling products which they claimed would be more effective than the vaccine. So that's why they were out I, there. I saw today, too, earlier this morning, one of the fact checkers on social media, or maybe the Internet, or may, I don't know which, was funded by an organization that owns $2 billion worth of Pfizer stock. I guess no conflict of interest there. And did you see the interview? the interview yesterday morning between... I think she pronounces her name Mika Zizinski, uh and some uh, lady at the White House, I believe the communications director, about the need to hold people accountable and the, the need for consequences with regard to misinformation, particularly as it relates to the COVID and the vaccine. Yeah, I heard parts of that. Mika Brzezinski, who's on the Morning Joe show. And she's but, the big uh, news daughter, right? That's right. Do we need to say more? Well, what did she say yesterday? Well, she she said um, in her, her questions to, and I can't remember the lady's name, but I'm pretty sure she was the White House communications director. But it was a very leading question, and it went on, you know, it was one of these questions where it's more of a statement than a question. And Kate, I, I, that definitely calling out, calling the shots and calling it out is important. But as a candidate, the president said he was open to getting rid of Section 230. And I'm just wondering if he's open to amending 230 when Facebook and Twitter and other social media outlets spread false information um, that cause Americans harm. Shouldn't they be held accountable in a real way? Shouldn't they be liable for publishing that information and then open to lawsuits. It was repugnant. I wondered what uh, our founders would have would have thought. Well, as I understand it, Section 230 has helped companies like Facebook and Twitter and, and any other social media players out there. It's, it's helped them get to where they are because they have legal protection from liability for things that they that people post on their site. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is that when they start censoring what people say, then they're using that Section 230 legal provision 
as a sword more than a shield. You know, do we really want the government, you know, the people that run the DMV, the people that run the IRS, do we want them determining what's true and what's not true? Uh, no way. And this country was founded on the notion that free speech was critical to a free nation and free men, and now obviously free men and women. But the progressive left in this country seems hell-bent on, on doing away with that. Uh, i just make two comments about it. First is that throughout this pandemic, we've seen language change, and sometimes it's because of a good faith change in our understanding about the disease. But other times there's some questionable motives there. But the other thing is that now we're seeing a marrying of big government and big tech. And they already uh, the left already has institutions of you know, a- big academia and big business. So I think it's pretty scary when you start putting those forces together to control what people can see. It sure is. The notion that big tech is is made up of private entities and therefore outside of the um, ability of the um, the citizenry th- buying through government, be it the legislative branch or the judicial branch, or I suppose even the executive branch with the FCC or some such, to control and demand, mandate uh, free speech is... It's problematic because of that nexus, as you describe, between big tech and government, and they have a they have a monopoly, um, and and they're allowed to operate. I mean, we own the airwaves. We used to own the internet. Uh, I guess, thanks to Obama, maybe we don't anymore. Um, but the the the, the nation, the, the country, the citizens allow these companies to operate and give them a monopoly, and they can do what they wish with regard to content. And I think there's a line that's crossed there, and I'm not sure exactly how you fix it uh, from a legal standpoint, but clearly it needs fixing. I think there'll be some interesting uh, legal cases coming down the road on this in the future. Yeah, no doubt. Both the left and the right used to, if nothing else, pay lip service to the idea of freedom of speech, the left doesn't do that anymore. I mean, it's gone from speech codes on certain college campuses to the White House Director of Communications advocating on MSNBC for speech codes on the Internet. Orwell would be proud. Yeah, so I made one other note um I wrote down, are the Olympics dying? One wonders. You, you saw about the women's soccer team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three players did not take the knee. No, I, I thought they all took the knee. I, didn't no, I, I think th- the picture I saw showed three standing up. Okay. Um, and Sweden, uh, of course, Americans were heavily favored. Sweden stomped us. Yeah, it was a um, three to nothing. Uh, yeah. And I guess three... Three scores in soccer is like you know a million in football or something. Yeah, I mean American it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a rub your nose in it kind of victory, I think. 
I have to say I enjoy the Olympics every four years and now every two years where they split the, the summer and the winter games. Yeah. Always enjoy it, but it seems like they lose money every year. Uh, recently, I guess the uh, International Olympic Committee awarded the 2032 games to a city in Australia, and that was the only city that even asked for it. Wow, I didn't know that. So, yeah, it's because they're just losing so much money. And, and of course, the Tokyo Olympics were supposed to be last year. They were moved to this year because of COVID, but they're still fighting COVID in Japan. And there won't be spectators there. Uh, they look to lose a lot more money. And, you know, you wonder, what happens when nobody asks for it? Do they then have to pay somebody to take it? Well, that's a very good point. And what if no one does? You know, just the terrorism implications alone with regard to the Olympics. I mean, it's been almost 50 years since Munich. You throw in all the other controversy and the infrastructure that's required, and, you know, it, it could very well be that nobody's willing to take it, even with a check. And I, I'm like you. I, You know, I, I enjoy it. Not all of it, but uh, but I do. And I, I, I think, as you do, that the... Um, when they split the summer and the winter so that they're on, uh, there's two years, I thought that was great. And uh, we've got um, this issue with the women's soccer team. Um, the men's basketball team is, in my opinion, likely not to win the gold medal. It's not what it was, perhaps. I guess that would be shocking. Um, you know, back in the day, years ago, though, there were college players that were pulled together for the Olympic team. That's right. And they were they were true amateurs. And then when they lost one year, the, you know, the powers that be said, well, we can't do that anymore. And they started bringing the pros in. Yeah. They lost Pretty in 88 much. in Seoul. John Thompson was the coach. Um, this year, most, as I understand it, I don't follow the NBA anymore, but most of the big guns from the NBA are not interested in playing. Um, and I can understand that. Um, so they've got a, I guess, a, by and large, a second-rate professional team. Um, some of the star power, I think, is coming now to Tokyo now that the NBA Finals are over. But that seems unfair because the others have been playing for some period of time, some months, and then these guys are going to parachute in and, and play when they can win a gold medal, perhaps. So there's some dissension on the team with regard to that. You've got Greg Popovich, who is a supreme jerk in every respect and a raging liberal with an Air Force Academy education who ought to know better. Uh, men's basketball may uh, may not make it. Well, we'll see what happened. The other part of that, though, is that you know some of these international teams are just a lot better than they, they used are. to be, too. And, and, and that's good. Um, and, and I'm not one of these people that thinks we're entitled to win it every year. I just think we ought to put our best team out there. Um, you know, once once you cross the Dream Team professional threshold in 92, okay, that, that, that ship sailed. Uh, let's, let's, let's go find, you know, our 12 best players and put them out there. Whether they're good teammates or not, right? And and but that's that's a consideration. I mean, you know, if if somebody's not a good teammate, maybe they don't need to be on the uh, the team for that reason. You know, they, you have that whole. I guess there's a thirty for thirty about the dream team, where basically they 
they all said, we'll play if Isaiah's not, not invited. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what happened. Um, you know, you reap what you sow. Well, I thought what they should have done is that uh, whatever college wins the national championship that year, they should be the Olympic team. I, that is absolutely the right idea. Um, you know, if it, when you win the national championship, you then your team, as composed on the date of the NCAA finals, is the is the Olymp- is the United States Olympic team as a reward, and it's a team. So they're used to playing together. So you, you know, you would think you wouldn't have that issue with uh, this as much dissension among among uh, teammates as you do with a, an all star team. Or, or, or you could even say, you know, the NBA champion if they wanted to, or you could say the runner-up. I mean, you know, pick a team from the NBA and say, go get them, boys. Did you see – there's a story. I saw it on Yahoo just right before uh, I signed on. The, the young man that is presumed to be the starting quarterback this season at Alabama – who has not taken a snap in college football, has signed contracts for the use of his name, image, or likeness to the tune of $900,000 so far. Yeah, I saw that. Close to a million dollars yeah. hasn't I mean, played college ball yet. Yeah, not taking snap one. And we've been talking about this name, image, likeness issue for several weeks since the Supreme Court released that decision. Uh, I also saw they they told what Mark Emmert's um, salary is as the NCAA this year is like two point nine million. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I can't believe that's a hard job. You know, I mean, shake some hands. Uh, Go to the Supreme Court. Yeah, be prepared to send uh, some good lawyers to the Supreme Court. I hope. Maybe not. But But the story about the Alabama quarterback is right on point because, you know, that just totally changes the sport. It changes his attitude toward the team, you would think. A lot of these players who are stars, maybe not a lot, a number of players who are stars and superstars in college don't make it in the NFL for size reasons or speed reasons or or injuries or whatever, some of these kids are going to make a lot more in college than they have a chance of making as professionals. And that's just interesting to me. Um, Sort of turns the world upside down. Well, it does. And some don't make it. Some get injured in college. Other things happen. Um, But, you know, it may be that some of these kids develop a following through advertising which gives them different career goals. Yeah. Or forces an NFL team, for instance, to to keep a player around because of his following on social media and in the marketing world. You know, if, if you're a big enough name, why not? If you're a run-of-the-mill team and you know you're not going to win a championship, keep the, the, the rookie who probably is not quite good enough to make your team just because you can sell jerseys and – uh, yeah, whatever. It's just, just a, an interesting thing. The other thing I'd mentioned, do you, are you familiar with Ned Ryan, R-Y-U-N? Uh, I know the name, but I don't remember how I know it. He's a, he's a writer. He was a speech writer for Pence, I think. His father is Jim Ryan, who was a congressman, and he was the first high schooler to break the four-minute mile. Oklahoma, Kansas. 
This guy has written a book, and I guess you'd call it historical fiction. Uh, it's a story of basically the revolutionary movement in Boston through Bunker Hill. So from the fall of 1774 through June or so of 1775. And it's, it's fictional in the sense that there's some dialogue between characters that, you know, he's, he's, he's guessing at and, and assuming they, they met when they did and what was said and so forth. Fantastic. Absolutely marvelous book. And it's, it's on Amazon. I think it's almost self-published. It's called The Adversaries. And it is, I mean, it, it is just delightful. I think the timing is right because we, he focuses on Joseph Warren, who was a physician in Boston. Uh, and there's a famous, I think it's Lyman Trumbull painting of him, um, dying at Bunker Hill. Um, and, and it's, I think it's now's a critical time to think about and remember, uh, the founding and, and what people went through to make the founding happen. Not so much the constitution. That was a later step, obviously, but the revolution itself and, 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 and what folks had to do. So I just wanted to bring that up and, and point that out. It's, I really have enjoyed it. Great recommendation. So what are well, you reading, Ed? I bought a bunch of books recently and I haven't started reading them, but the one thing I'm reading is, is, the, the investigation officer's case file yeah. by some friend of yours. Yeah, former partner. He's a, oh, it showed he's, up in the mail one day, and, and I'm about a third of the way through it. It's an interesting story. It is a, it's a good story. It's, um, and there's a twist at the end, and I won't tell you what it is, but uh, it's a I'll good story. I'll report back when I've finished it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a retired partner. Um, I guess he's been retired for a number, few years now, um, but he was a, jag, a Marine Jag in Vietnam and um, had some involvement in this investigation and sort of took that and made it into a novel. Good. Well, what's on your radar this week? I, I guess the um, the January 6th commission probably is at the forefront. I, I I think given the developments of this afternoon, that's going to continue to to be at the um, the hot button issue in the media unless something you know something else breaks. Um, I still have my eyes on the audit. I see where yesterday an Arizona state senator called for a new election in Arizona. I don't think that's going to amount to anything, but it was interesting that those words were used. And, uh, and then this whole notion of censorship, to me, is, is, uh, is extremely interesting. I guess I can say that. It was interesting how a superlative, I don't know. Um, but I, I, that, that's it. I, 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 I'm intrigued and worried about uh, censorship. What's on your radar? Well, the Olympics, uh, I guess they start in two days, although there's some events going on now. But I'll be spending a lot of time at least trying to track what's going on there, even with the time difference. Yeah. Um, do you prefer the swimming or track and field or the basketball or what's your... Oh, I always enjoy the swimming events. Yeah. Um, as well as the uh, 
I guess I guess it's the track and field, but I don't get so much into the javelin throw and the hammer throw and all of those other various things. I like to see the sprints and the relays. Yeah, and I don't like the distance running either. I mean, it's just kind of boring to watch. Um, I, I prefer the swimming. I don't like to swim. I've never swum in it competitively or anything, um, but I enjoy watching it. And it, I guess maybe because our country has historically um, dominated um, swimming. Yeah, with Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky in the past. And we Arch had Bits and yeah, folks like a lot that. Of Janet Evans. Um, and then the Australians are good, and you know the Chinese are are, are pretty good in uh, diving. I don't really like diving. It's su- it's subjective, and I'm I'm not sure subjective. Is it really a sport if you have a judge? Of course it is. Who grades you, and there's no ball? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Is well, gymnastics a, a sport? Gymnastics is a sport. Figure skating is a sport. Is it? Snowboard jumping, where they do a bunch of twists in the air, that's not a sport. Okay. Okay. So it's entirely subjective, and I decide what's a sport. Well, there you go. And as long as we have rules, that's that's all we can ask for. And Bright Line rules at that. Uh, one last thing before we go. I saw today that uh, Bobby Bowden has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. They're not saying what it is. He's 91. Um, so just, you know, thinking about him and his, his family, he was a, uh, you know, one of those people you could certainly hate in the ACC for years. Of course, he was a great coach at West Virginia. They went to Florida State. When they joined the ACC, they just dominated the league for years. But uh, great coach in, in college football, classy guy. Uh, so he's facing some some trials right now. That's tough. That's too bad. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review.